Eagles Entertainment. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the day. We're going to talk a little Super Bowl here as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 446. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out where I chat with Chris McPherson about the three things on the top of his mind as the Eagles get ready to head out to Arizona for Super Bowl 57. Eagles Chiefs, we'll talk about the matchup here with Chris McPherson. After that, we've got Chalk Talk where Ben Fennell and I discuss this matchup from a team-building standpoint. How are these two depth charts and rosters built? How do they get here to Super Bowl 57? We'll talk through that with Ben. Before we get there, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question about this team, that's the place to leave it. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get to it now. We've got three and out with C-Mac. It's time now to hear from my friend Chris McPherson. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop. Slave second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. Well, joining us here once again for three and out on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, my friend Chris McPherson, C-Mac, getting ready for your third Super Bowl here with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, very lucky, very fortunate, but I think it's a testament to how great the organization has been, starting with ownership. And, uh, you know, after the game on Sunday, I got to actually catch up with Chairman and CEO Jeffrey Lurie on the field. And the question I had for him was, you know, winning it all in the 2017 season did that kind of like show the way? Did that kind of take some of the pressure off to show that this can be done? Okay, that this organization is capable of not just getting to the big games, but winning them. And now, sort of like you know, guys can just be more free, even though it's a different coaching staff and a lot of different players. But still, I thought it was very important for the organization to have that you know example of that they've done this before. They've been down this road and have been able to come away with the Lombardi Trophy. And because uh, Lurie has always said. He wants to bring championships, plural, to Philadelphia, not just one. So he's got the first one, and now in a little over a week, he could possibly have the second one here in Philadelphia. I'm trying to remember which podcast it was after the game I was listening to. I believe it was Birds with Friends, but I don't want to miss uh, misquote. But um, someone had said, you know, it's, it is great that we're going into this matchup, Eagles versus the Chiefs, and it's not – while while the the storyline of like the Eagles versus Andy Reid is still prevalent, yeah, it's not like both sides have won a championship, right? Andy Reid got his first championship a couple years ago. The Eagles got their first championship a few years ago. So it's not like there is so much on the line for either like that extra oomph for either side. Uh, so the fact that but that both sides have kind of exercised those demons, and now you can just kind of appreciate uh, going, being able to go head-to-head. I think that kind of takes a little bit of the edge off. It uh, certainly from, from does. You, could you imagine all the pressure if it was like, okay, the Chiefs got theirs, Andy got his, but the Eagles are still trying to win exactly. theirs. Oh, that would, it, would it, would change, be a it would change the scope of the, of the discussion. No question. Big it's, time. A great, it's a very great point there. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I believe it was Birds with Friends. I, I don't want to uh, mis- <laughs> misappropriate that one. Uh, that's are, it. We, are we going to record different versions yeah, and you're right. just going to put them just all in there? It, so. Yeah, throw it to us, give it to somebody else um it might, it, honestly it might have been shield it might have been shield kapadia as well uh that's i'm, I'm not a thousand percent sure that said let's go uh, let's get into your first point here what's the first down here on three and out first one is, is we're going to see the two best quarterbacks in the nfl in the 2022 season okay you know it's the first matchup between two black starting quarterbacks in the super bowl era 
And it's prescient because 35 years ago, this was as of, uh, I think Tuesday was the anniversary, but 35 years ago, Doug Williams was the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl with Washington. So a little historical tie there. And it's also the youngest combined age of the two starting quarterbacks, okay? So with Mahomes is uh, 27, Jalen Hurts is 24, okay? It's just, I think, about two weeks about or so younger than Montana Marino back in Super Bowl 19, believe it or not, way back when. So, you know, but you have two of the MVP finalists here. Mahomes had 5,200-plus passing yards, 41 touchdowns. Hertz was 14-1 and as a starter in a regular season, two more postseason wins. He had 13 rushing touchdowns, 35 total. You know, both of these quarterbacks are on incredible win streaks going to this matchup. Mahomes has won his last seven starts, including the playoffs, and the team has 29-plus points in those games. Hertz has won his last eight starts, okay? Because you remember the two losses were the games that he was injured for. So he's won his last eight starts, and the Eagles are averaging 32 points you know, per game over that time frame. You know, including the playoffs, these are the two quarterbacks who are in the top four in wins this season, passing yards per attempt, you know, touchdown to giveaway ratio, quarterback rating. And we look at Hertz five years ago, he took the Alabama Crimson Tide on the precipice of a national championship, and it was benched at halftime for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Now, a little over a week from now, he could bring the Eagles their second Lombardi trophy. Uh, a topic I'm sure he'll be asked about plenty next week. Uh, and that's going to be a big one. I mean, he, was, he referenced it in his post-game press conference last week uh, after the win over San Francisco. I, I just... I. It's going to be an awesome battle. Uh, obviously, two guys that go about it in a little bit d- different ways in terms of the way that they're able to be so effective, uh, the way that they are used within their respective offenses, a little bit different. Um, but both guys have the ability to beat you within structure and outside of structure. Uh, yeah, Patrick, well, there's not a lot to say about Patrick Mahomes that hasn't already been said. And that's what, you know, trying to prepare to do like analysis segments here or this week and next week. He's just a, he's a great player. He, he's going to be an extremely difficult test. Uh, certainly, the obviously, the best player the Eagles have faced uh, this season, and it'll be the biggest test for the defense to date. The, the thing is, you know, and those transition to my, my second point, but when you look at the road the Eagles had to take to get to the Super Bowl, you know, you look at the AFC, and it's just a daunting gauntlet of quarterbacks, you know, between Mahomes and Burrow and Josh Allen, you know, if Lamar were able to play. But, you know, you know, Trevor Lawrence taking the next step and getting his team to uh, the divisional round. Pro Bowl quarterback Tyler Huntley. Huntley, yes, indeed. So, <laughs> yeah, throw that one in there. Course, but, yeah. but for the Eagles, the thing is, you know, could people ask, well, which team would you face? The beauty of this is the Eagles only have to face one. Right. It's whoever it. comes yep. out of it, and it happens to be... The best, Patrick Mahomes here. So my second point here is getting more into the matchup here, Jonathan Gannon against Andy Reid mm. and, and this offense. And, you know, we talked about the first time that uh, the Eagles had met the Niners in that 2021 season, that, that week two matchup. Yep. Kind of reference it there just to kind of give you a, you know, a, a sense of how far the Eagles have come. And I think we can use the same thing here because these two teams face in week four sure. of the 2021 season. And Patrick Mahomes was outstanding, okay? Threw for five touchdowns, complete 80% of his passes, 271 yards. All right, well, again, that was a year ago. And you look at what the Eagles have done from adding a Hassan Reddick, and you look at bringing in a James Bradbury and, and all the different moves that they made. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Kaiser White. I mean, the, the, when you w- go back and watch it, and honestly, it's on both sides. Looking at the, the looking at that game in 2021, 
it's kind of startling to say like it's so it's it's jarring how different the team was on both sides yeah, of the ball. No question. So, but you look at the numbers. So the Eagles now second in total defense this season. You know, first in passing defense, first in sacks, first in yards per play. You know, in the regular season and in the two playoff games, they've allowed just 14 points. They've allowed fewer than 200 yards. You know, total yards per game, not rushing or passing, just total yards. You know, they've eight sacks, four takeaways, everything that they've done great during the regular season. And Dave Spadaro wrote, wrote a phenomenal column about how you see the defense being whole, getting Max back, getting C.J. Gardner-Johnson back, and they're getting back to that ball-hawking takeaway style that they play with for much of the season. But the thing is, the Chiefs since then haven't lost a step. They're first in total offense and first in scoring offense and first in passing offense and second and third down, second in red zone, third in in sacks, okay? They protect Patrick Mahomes well, yep. and obviously, you know, he plays a role in that. But, you know, you want a little bit of optimism here. The Chiefs were red, red hot to start the season. They had 40 points or more in three of their first seven games. That was going into their bye week. They haven't reached that level since, okay? You know, if, if you're looking for some reason to be like, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, this is somewhere where the Eagles can win. But the thing is, Eagles fans know about Travis Kelsey and the, the Kelsey storyline that we're going to hear that for the next week and a half or so, and we'll get tired of it, of course, yeah. you know. But you got to look at this offensive line, okay? The Eagles have three Pro Bowl players on their offensive line. The Chiefs have three on theirs. Creed Humphrey is one of the best centers in the game. Orlando Brown, Joe Thune, okay? They've got talent all along that offensive line as well. And, you know, last week, the Eagles' defense was concerned with a rookie seventh-round pick in Brock Purdy. This time around, it's going to be a rookie seventh-round pick in Isaiah Pacheco, mm. who comes from Violent, New Jersey, South Jersey, played his college football at Rutgers, and he's been very effective this year. 830 rushing yards, five touchdowns in the regular season, and he leads the team with another 121 yards in the playoffs. So, you know, the Eagles, one of the big changes from last year this year also is Gannon calling blitzes. They were 30th in the league in 2021. They were up to 16th, you know, league average this season. The thing is, if you're thinking, okay, is that going to be the approach? Do you want to send a house to Mahomes to try to rattle him? Mahomes had a league-high 17 touchdown passes against the Blitz this season, according the, to Pro Football Focus. And that was a, a big thing. You know, last year, teams just chose that we're not blitzing him because he's too good against the Blitz. So the team yeah. said, we're, we're going to play coverage. Uh, now, that was also when you had Tyree Kill. And so the, coming out of the gates this year, uh, teams blitzed him at a very high rate coming out weeks one through like five or six. And I don't have the direct numbers in front of me, but just uh, with doing my, some of my research here over the course of the last few days, teams were very happy to blitz him early and have since kind of backed off a little bit. So it's around the middle of the pack in terms of how often they're blitzed. Um, actually, yeah, it's uh, it actually went back completely back the other way. We're on the back end of the season because they finished 29th. So, the, you know, not getting blitzed all that often uh, once again. So I'll be interested to see what exactly the game plan is. I think you do mix some of it in. Of course. But, yeah, uh, yeah I don't expect it to be, you know, blitz, 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 because uh, Patrick Mahomes has proven that if you're going to send extra defenders, he's going to make you pay. Yeah. He's not affected by pressure in that way. No, no. And that's, again, that's why he's one of the best. You know, this is why this is the biggest challenge that the Eagles will face, you know, just looking from the talent level, the offensive numbers, you know, the, the pedigree, the fact that they've been here before time and time again. I mean, Andy Reid has built a program, okay, and sustained this program large part due to Mahomes' success. Yep. So um, so we talk about the veteran presence there in Mahomes. One thing that I want to look at now as we go into my third and final point is when you look at Steve Spagnuolo's defense, 
there's some youth there. And can the Eagles can the Eagles exploit it? Okay. Yep. So George Karlaftis, okay, high draft pick this year, but he's second on the team in sacks. He played 41% of the snaps in the AFC Championship game, so he's a starter for them. They have a rookie cornerback, Jalen Watson, okay? So he's playing 100% of snaps. He's a full-time starter on the outside for them. Trent McDuffie from Washington, he's their nickel corner. He's basically like a starter for them in their secondary. The Eagles, sort of like last week, how Nick Bosa was the player who could wreck shop. Well, this week it's Chris Jones, okay, who's 15 and a half sacks, has that same disruptive ability, quite possibly might be even more, more so. And they have Carl Aftis, they have Frank Clark. It's They cannot allow this defensive line to get Jalen Hurts off track, to get the running game off track, so that hopefully that the Eagles will, A, have time to be able to get the ball to their weapons and do so against some of those rookie players. If you're looking for one clear advantage for the Eagles, the Chiefs struggled in the red zone this yes. season, okay? They were... Let me see here. They were 30th, I believe, if my memory serves. 31st. 31st, okay. 31st. 31st in red zone defense. The Eagles set a franchise record and were first in the league for a large part of the season until that regular season finale against the Giants when they were one for five. Yep. So they ended up finishing third. So, again, the Eagles were very effective in the red zone against the 49ers on Sunday. They need to do that once again here in the Super Bowl to have a chance to win. And the area where the Eagles, you know, I went back and just watched a lot of the red zone and said, well, what, what makes the Eagles so effective? Well, uh, they lead the NFL or led the NFL this season, I should say, uh, in uh, RPO touchdowns in the red zone. That's where the, the where you know, look, we, the, the field shrinks, right? So um, you're not worried as much about the vertical stuff, but you stretch the field horizontally. horizontally. I mean, we saw it this past week against San Francisco, uh, that Miles Sanders 13-yard touchdown run that put them up 14-7. That was an RPO that they ran like three or four times just on that drive uh, where you know you see Fred Warner frozen in place. You see Tayshawn Gibson, the, the free safety, frozen in place. There is so much that you have to worry about, and they make you defend all 53 yards wide uh, in that you know when you get into that short area of the field, that's where the RPO game is devastating. And certainly Jalen Hurts, his ability to, to run the football, we've seen that down in that area of the field. Defenses have to respect all of it, and so I think that'll be something to watch here in this game. Uh, if it's going to be a game where – Touchdowns matter, right? It's it's going to go back and forth, much like that that you know the Super Bowl Fifty Two. If it's going to be that kind of game, you need to capitalize in the red zone, and that's something that the Eagles have shown they can do, and the Chiefs have struggled with defensively. Yeah, well, here's the thing: is you go back to that Giants game, the Week Eighteen game, Jalen Hurts wasn't using his legs. Yeah, he wasn't effective in that regard. Exactly. That's why they struggled in the red zone. Yep. That is exactly why that it's such an important yep, part point. of his game. So that's why they were one for five there, and. You know, you have 13 rushing touchdowns in the season. Now, did you see anything from the Chiefs' perspective as to why they haven't been as good? Uh, I didn't in dive the into it from there. I was more looking at it in terms of just their, their parole numbers. I didn't go back and watch their red zone defense up to this point, but uh, I've got all week uh, to be able to do, some that. Time to do that. Yes. Next week's game, and obviously we'll have a couple podcasts uh, next week. So, uh, C Mac, once again, thanks for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Uh, enjoy uh, Arizona, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, joining us now here for Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, my friend Ben Fennell, to uh, dive a little bit deeper into the Eagles and the Chiefs here. And Ben, you and I next week, we'll do our normal uh, game breakdown. You and I give us a little bit of extra time to go through the numbers, go through the film, uh, and really kind of dive deep into this matchup. But I thought, you know what, here for this week, 
why don't we take a look at these two rosters and just the, the, the how these two teams are built, what got them here to this point. So each of us will provide two takeaways. So we'll have eight total, four for each team, uh, on how these rosters were built and what led them here to Super Bowl 57. I'll let you kick things off, and we'll start with the uh, the opponent here with the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, you know, I think it's really important to note both these teams. Both were 2021 playoff teams, Yep. yet are very different this season. And I just love that there's no mm. being content despite having a successful season. And if you didn't win that Lombardi trophy, you better make some changes. And this is a Chiefs team that went to the Super Bowl in 2020, changed the entire offensive line the that. next year. Great point. Yep. So going into this year, I'm deeming it a little bit of the youth movement. You know, we moved on from some vets like Tyron Matthews, Sorensen, Jerron Reed, Anthony Hitchens, Okafor. You know, Chark Ward took a free agent contract to San Fran. A lot of youth all over this team. Over 3,300 snaps from defensive rookies this season wow. leads the NFL. We saw, I think, five or six on the field at one time in the AFC Championship game. So these are high leverage moments. These aren't just junk times in the fourth quarter. They are needed. They are called upon. They aren't just role players. They are core players. They're starters. I mean, that's not even mentioning the guys on the offensive side like Sky Moore and Isaiah Pacheco. I just love seeing youth called upon, youth being relied upon, youth being dependable in high leverage situations on contending teams. Mm. The youth movement isn't just for the rebuilders. Yep. If you make the right moves, your youth is young, exciting, pretty often cheap too. That's a good recipe to contend. I love that. Uh, and I was glad you brought up the O-line uh, turnover from 2020 to 2021 because as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, this is a team that completely revamped the offensive line a year ago and is paying dividends now. Yeah. It was one and of the some, best and some of the youth movement went to plan, you know, as you expect Trent yep. McDuffie and Carl Laftis to play. Maybe you didn't expect uh, Joshua Williams to play as many snaps. Maybe you didn't expect Brian Cook to be as contributable, you know, in that dime package. So we all know these teams go through ebbs and flows of the season. Your depth will be tested. A lot of that youth had to play for the Chiefs. So for me, uh, one thing that kind of stands out, and this is just kind of understanding what is it, what, what's your engine that makes your team go, right? And you look at this offense and you say, all right, well, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Good starting point, right? And you have this offensive line that's built up. We know that Andy Reid, uh, much like uh, here in Philadelphia, prioritizes the line of scrimmage, right? Um, so when you're looking at how you're going to build this offense out, if you've got the best quarterback in football, and you say, all right, well, we're going to kind of piecemeal this offense together. We're not going to put high assets into there because we're going to count on our head coach, play caller, quarterback to lift everybody else around them. So, you know, you get Juju Smith-Schuster on a one-year deal. You go and you sign Justin Watson when anybody could have got him. You got Jarek McKinnon off the scrap heap. You spent a seventh-round pick on Isaiah Pacheco. You get Noah Gray to come in as a seventh-round pick from last year, right? You just start picking and, and prodding here. Uh, you know, Canarius Tony. oh, we got him on the cheap, right? Just trying to find bargains wherever you can. Again, knowing that you've got Mahomes and Reed, that combination, to kind of pick everybody else up. We know that he's one of the best schemers in football. Uh, year after year after year, consistently puts those guys in position to make big-time plays for them. They've been one of the most explosive offenses now for most of the last decade. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting way to kind of look at that. And it, honestly, it, it carries over to the other side as well. A lot of their, their blue-chip assets, you know, first-round pick, second-round pick, high free agent dollars, they go to the line of scrimmage and the quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And I think two other areas they like to acquire that talent with is, first of all, they love to go after high-level talent. Yeah. They have eight former first-round picks on this team, yeah. 13 former second-round picks. Now you're saying, well, they draft a lot of them. Well, nine of them were from the outside. Yeah. So I love that they go back to the well of high-level talent around the league. We've seen it before. I mean, last year, Kyle Long and Josh Gordon were on the roster. Right. You know, they're obviously not with 2022, but you had guys like Kadarius Toney and, you know, a guy like John Ross is 
on IR with them. And John Ross is a 4-2 receiver. Didn't work out early in his career, but he has talent. And I love the Chiefs always go back to the high-level talent around the league. The other thing, I love the hybrid talent. Mm. You know, in defensive backs, you have guys that are safeties that played corner before. You know, Justin Reed was nearly about to be a corner at Stanford. Juan Thornhill, corner safety at Virginia. Legereus Sneed. I think plays all six defensive back spots out there. You have running backs that can catch. You have tight ends that can run or matchup threats like Noah Gray. Even like a Blake Bell. You know, that's a guy that's a former quarterback. We've seen him come under center and do quarterback sneaks. Yep. That's valuable to this team. You know, yak and speed threats at receiver. Those are guys that could also come in the backfield and take handoffs. So I love adding high-level talent, you know, obviously on the waiver wire and free agency, and then adding hybrid talent. Because anytime you can do multiple things for your team, becomes tougher to defend, becomes tougher to segment and figure out what they do well. If they do a lot of things well, just becomes more chips uh, to deploy. Uh, it's funny you say that because I'm always looking at this from like a draft angle as well. And you know, we have these conversations over on the Journey to the Draft podcast uh, all the time, especially once we get into the offseason. And looking at the Chiefs and have, you know watching them over the last few years, this is a team that wants to get speed into the building any way they can. And certainly through the draft, I mean, you look at the guys that they target, you know, the, the Mikol Hardmans of the world. And uh, you go in at running back and you're, all right, we're going to get Jarek McKinnon. This is a guy that was in the 4-3-4-4s the four, four, when he was coming out. You trade for Kadarius Toney, knowing the kind of game breaking ability he has uh, and again just kind of going up and down the roster they're always looking to add speed this is a, a, a going back to Andy Reid like latter stages here in Philadelphia Jeremy Macklin Deshaun Jackson like you're always looking for that game breaking ability and uh, this is something that they're always going to operate within is hey you know what if this guy can run if this guy's got game breaking uh, potential we're going to look to add him to this roster. Absolutely. And a guy like Andy Reid and that front office and the confidence in their coaching and tutelage and mentoring and father figure, they're willing to take some guys that maybe, you know, some things went, you know, awry with the previous stop or off the field. They really trust themselves. They trust the coaching. They trust the culture. They trust the, the you know, the the system they have instilled, uh, not only here previously with the Philadelphia Eagles, but now at the Kansas City Chiefs. It's really impressive to see. And uh, I think that's why he's, you know, revered as one, not only one of the best coaches, one of the best, you know, ev- talent evaluators, one of the best people in the NFL, too. Mm. So Andy Reid is one of the best. Yeah, it's uh, certainly one of the uh, more fun organizations to be able to study from afar. Uh, that said, let's now get into the Eagles here. Uh, and obviously, I'll, I'll take low-hanging fruit. I'll go first here. This is one that we talked about endlessly, and the Eagles consistently prioritizing the line of scrimmage. They do it in the draft. They do it in free agency. They do it the way they reward contracts. They are always looking to build not just the top-end talent, but the depth. It's extremely important. You see them spend quality assets on guys, like a second-round pick on Cam Jurgens, knowing full well, yeah, this guy's going to be back up here in year one as a rookie and, may, and potentially year two. You don't know exactly what the future holds, but I think when you look at uh, the way that they allocate resources, the line of scrimmage is always going to be super important. Um, even when you have a year, it was it was 2020, right, where the, complete, the offensive line was completely decimated. Yep. You had, uh, was it 15 different starting combinations yep. along the offensive line? It did, it, like, it was bad. It was bad. But it didn't like if the other teams had dealt with that, like it would be unwatchable bad. And the Eagles were just like it was just it was bad, right? So I think that, that again that kind of speaks to uh, the depth, the priority they place on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, and certainly this year that has shown up in a big way. 
One thing I've just always really admired about Howie Roseman is not only his 24-7 kind of roster mission, it's a 365 mm. job. Yes. It is literally a January to January job. And I think snapshotting this season in particular is really important. And I know we we know all of our dates throughout the calendar, particularly in the offseason. But Howie Roseman is just so active in constantly improving this roster. Whether it's the free agency time, you know, he spends some big money on Hassan Reddick. You get the Kaiser Wikes and Zach Pascals right after that. That. that doesn't mean you're done adding outside people. The draft day trade of A.J. Brown, contract year with the Titans, you extend him. Post-draft free agency, it's when you bring in James Bradbury. You know, a guy figuring things out with his previous team. Then the future capital deals, like acquiring future picks from the Saints. Then the dawn of the season. What do you need? Where can you improve? You get a C.J. Gardner-Johnson right before the season. Then you're constantly evaluating and assessing during the season. And you add a Robert Quinn, a Linval Joseph, and Dominican Sue. I love just the 365 mission to constantly improving your roster and self-scouting your roster and having a truth with yourself and a humility to say, we need to get better here or we made a mistake here. So I love just the reflection of the roster and the constant mission to improve it, improve it, improve it at all times. Well, that's what it's funny because every, every uh, you know, we'll say August 31st, September 2nd, whatever it is, when it's the, the roster cut down after training camp, after the preseason, uh, you know, people will ultimately say, Oh, it's the final roster cut. It's the final 53, the final 53. And the running joke, it's its its meant to be a joke, but it's also its not really a joke, is that there's nothing final about that. The, 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 the roster building process does not end uh, when the regular season begins. And so uh, this is a team that is always turning over every uh, turning over every stone, making sure that every, th- every box is checked uh, in terms of, you know, who else can help this team win football games. Um, here's another one for me. This is something that has really stood out, uh, especially after the draft this past year, uh, really just looking at taking stock. All right, who are the players that this team acquired getting ready for the 2022 season? And, you know, one of the big things you'll always hear Nick Sirianni talk about is dog mentality, right? That's a, it's, you know, that's one of the things he always leans on uh, as a phrase in terms of what he wants the identity of this team to be. But, you know, if you want to have a tough team, a physical team, an urgent team, well, then you got to go get tough, physical, urgent players. And when you look at all of their quality additions, first round pick, second round pick, third round pick, free agent contracts, big name players that they've brought in here since Nick Sirianni has hired, you would say that all of them kind of bring that kind of edge to their game, whether it's the the violence and the urgency that like Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis played with at Georgia, maybe it's like the uh, you know the the ultimate competitiveness and situational awareness and everything that comes along with Devonte Smith being as as physical as he is at his size, right? Again, you just go d- down the list, all the guys they've brought in, Hassan Reddick, outstanding motor and the way that he plays the game, how often he attacks the the throwing arm of the quarterback, all of these guys fit that scope. There's nothing finesse about the way that these guys come in or that these guys play. And so then with that said, this is not a finesse football team. This is a physical football team, a tough football team. And you, whatever uh, adjective you want to throw on that in terms of describing dog mentality, that's what, what that's the, the vision that Nick Sirianni has set forth and credit to both he and Howie Roseman for targeting those kinds of players in both free agency and the draft. Yeah, I think anytime you have a locker room, kind of echo the sentiments, the attitude, the mentality of your coaching staff, and then seemingly vice versa, which I love. You know, we have some wily old veterans, you know, and Jeff Stoutland, but we have a pretty young coaching staff. Yeah. And they relate to the players extremely well, and I think the players really feel that, and they, they feed off each other's not only fire, but the mentality, too, what's going on between the ears. 
years. I love that. That's a, that's a great, great point about, again, the way that this team has been built, uh, again, kind of following the vision from everybody from the top down. Um, you know, it's one of the big reasons why they are where they are going into Super Bowl 57. Well, Ben, like I said earlier, uh, you and I, we're going to break this game down from an X's and O's standpoint early next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks once again for joining us, and we will talk to you next week. Great stuff there from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out today to someone who left us a question. Ethan, the Eagles fan, left a five-star review saying, hey, Fran, I'm a huge fan of the show and I had a question. Why do the Eagles drop their edge rushers as often as they do? I feel like if I was a quarterback, I would always throw right at the end because he's not used to being in that spot. So, uh, Ethan, thanks so much for the five-star review. Thanks for the question. And it's funny, uh, we are actually hitting on that topic a little bit here this week on Eagles Game Plan. Greg Cosell doing a little bit of a breakdown onto uh, some of the ways that dropping defensive ends can be advantageous for the defense. And it's something that has popped up throughout the course of the year. There have been examples. You know, the, the first one that comes to mind is Brandon Graham dropping in coverage and forcing Matt Ryan to hold on to the football on a critical third down sack against the Indianapolis Colts in the middle of the season. The Eagles needed a stop defensively, and him being there in that throwing lane was unexpected. And that's the thing. You don't know when that defensive end is going to drop into coverage. You don't know who is going to be there underneath. And if that's the, if you cloud that picture, you plant that seed of doubt, well, now that's all, that's all you need defensively to let this rush be able to get home, get that quarterback off his first read, force him to hold on to the football. Now, if the quarterback knows before the snap, oh, that's who's dropping in coverage? I'm going to have this matchup? Yeah, that's where you can get, get yourself into trouble. But the Eagles have done a really good job at masking that. And it's not only getting the quarterback to uh, to hold on to the football and kind of confuse him. There are other aspects of it as well. You can create one-on-one matchups. You can get a free runner home from the second level. We saw that on that interception from James Bradbury uh, a couple weeks ago against the Giants where C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he's home clean because both defensive ends dropped out. The offensive tackles are blocking nobody. The ball comes out hot, and Bradbury jumps the route for the interception early on in that game in the divisional round. So uh, there are a lot of advantages to being able to play that way. Uh, but is it always perfect? No, but I, I really like what the Eagles have done, and they, I think they've done a really nice job of mixing things up when it comes to dropping those guys into coverage. And it's one of the reasons why the defense has had as much success as, as it has had. So, Ethan, thanks so much for the five-star review. Now, before we get ready to close the show, I want to once again toss it over to our Eagles game plan crew. Some extra analysis that couldn't make it into this week's show. We've got Greg Cosell, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, John Clark, everybody involved. Let's get some of that late analysis here from those guys from Eagles game plan. He moves to his left. You've got Devontae Smith down there in the slot. He runs that outcut, but recognizing that the timing is not there any longer, he's in the scramble mode. It's scramble drill. So he gets up the field, and Jalen puts the ball out there, but it's one of these catches that you've got to be an acrobat. So he makes the move. He gets his hand on the football. He pulls it in, pulls it down, but unsure as to whether or not it's truly a catch. And you watch him as he jumps up, and right away, he's go, he's doing that motion to let everybody know we need to go tempo. So they're able to go tempo, they get the playoff, and sure enough, later it's determined that it wasn't really a catch, but it's too late. But that awareness to get up and make sure that you're keeping everybody moving, keeping the thing moving, is a big, big thing. And they're able to keep that drive alive and keep the tempo 
keep everybody into the game. And that was so important, that quick start. Yeah, the mark of great coaching, really. I mean, just look at the guys on his team, the veterans, detail-oriented, right? Yes. You talk about Devontae Smith there, situational awareness. If there's any doubt that he may not have caught that ball, they are situationally aware and prepared to get up to the line of scrimmage and get the next play going. That's the mark of a good football team. And when your best players, your veteran players, are so detail-oriented, it's going to allow you to be as successful as they are. And it goes down to small things like wide receiver blocking. Right? Sure. These guys take pride in blocking for the guys on the perimeter. You don't get penalties usually out there with A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith, Zach Pascoe. That's what I mean by detail-oriented, good football players. And when your veterans are doing it, it trickles down through the rest of the team. And here's the thing. It's not just happenstance. Yeah. They practice these things. Yeah. They practice all of that awareness. Sometimes they're running plays in practice when the player is there to throw the ball, but Jalen will hold on to it because he wants to see the scramble drill. He wants to see these guys getting in position, making sure that they know where they should go if I need to scramble. Yeah, we saw a couple of big runs there. They had the four rushing touchdowns. The Birds have the best rushing attack in the playoffs, over 200 rushing yards a game. And we see the offensive line moving people. Lane, Jason, Kelsey, Jordan Mailata, these guys are playing great football. What are you seeing from the running game and the variety that they have? I think if there's a secret sauce to this run game and to this offense in general, it's the offensive line and how well they play and how well they play together. You talk about an accordion, these guys just work really well together. When teams are running these stunts up front, they're able to pass them off and understand even pre-snap where they're trying to go. They're so good with their feet, with their hands, and the double teams, they're so good at getting that double team and making sure that the one guy's controlling where the second guy then gets to the second level. It's just beautiful to watch. As a guy who's played on the outside and just enjoyed the real skilled guys my entire life, I really get a lot of fun out of now watching the offensive line play. Yeah, and I love the commitment to the running game. I really do. The fact sure. that, you know, you're going up against a very good football team that you may not have the explosive plays that you're accustomed to getting, but you got to stay committed to the running game because eventually it will break for you. And that's what I saw Sunday going up against the number one rushing defense in the league. There was some tough slogging in there, but I love the way that we were detail oriented. We were patient. We stayed with our blocks and the running backs, quite frankly, give them a lot of credit as well for being patient. Yeah. And sticking with the blocking scheme. Eventually, those runs would open up for them. You got four rushing touchdowns on the day. The two rushing touchdowns that Miles Sanders had, he practically wasn't touched on either touchdown. So Correct. in between those 20s, it was a little tough. But when they got down to the red zone, you could see where the consistency worked out for them. And those holes started to open up for our running game. I love the fact that we stayed committed to the running game because that was the best formula for success. This I summer. think one of the smartest things this franchise has done is stick with Jeff Stoutland. Having Jeff Stoutland here for so long and his smarts, and he and Jason Kelsey working together on the schematics of the run game, of the blocking schematics up front, it's really been a thing of beauty to watch. And how about the different elements with the running game when you have Kenny Gainwell, 26 carries in the two playoff games, by far the most in his career so far. How much does that add to this when you can throw in Boston Scott as well and Jalen Hurts, of course, running the ball? Well, it leaves you wondering... Which back is it going to be this week? You know, either one of these guys at any point in the game can take over the run game because they're all three are so dynamic.
Yeah, all three are very different as well. That's the versatility of this offense, particularly the running game, having different styles of runners that you can throw at a defense. And then when you add in a quarterback, who's oh, yeah. also part of the running game, man, it's difficult for any defense to be able to contain this offense for very long. And that's why the Eagles, through two playoff games, has rushed for nearly 500 yards. Is that what you mean when you say you have to – protect every blade of grass on the field. <laughs> As it is. It's the truth. And if you look at some of those running plays, even when Jalen is doing the RPOs and he sticks the ball in the belly of the running back, you can watch all pro linebacker Fred Warner. He doesn't move right. because he can't commit to the front side That's because very... he has to make sure Jalen yeah. isn't going to keep the ball and run out the backside. So when you do that, it allows for blocks to really get the angle on defenders. Do you figure in this Super Bowl against the Chiefs, because Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense is very, very good, that we will see more of the passing game with the Eagles? Is this a, a byproduct of, okay, the Eagles get up early in those games against the Giants and 49ers, and we're just going to do what we can to, to win this game. We don't necessarily need to have the big explosive plays in the passing game. Yeah, it's why it's been the best football team all year. It's hard to pin this team down right. and say this is what they're going to do. That's right. They have counter punches to whatever you try to defend. If you want to double the outside receivers and Devontae and A.J. Brown and you give a light box with six men, guess what? We're going to run it all day, north and south, right down your throat. And when you decide to commit an extra man to the running game to try to slow down the running game, now we're talking one-on-one -on, -one on the outside, one-on-one -on -one with Dallas Goddard and a quarterback who has the ability to make all the throws. It's very difficult to hold this offense down. You may do it for a series or two, but for four quarters, it's going to be difficult. And whatever the Chiefs decide to focus on to defend, the Eagles will have a counter to that. He's not looking for the big hit on the quarterback. He's looking to get the ball out. Nobody in the game does it better than number seven for Philadelphia. My goodness, has he been a terror <laughs> on defense in the postseason. And, and nobody in the game has ever had double-digit sacks for three different franchises. And you see what he's doing this year. It's because that's what he's done throughout his time in the National Football League. He's a tough guy to block. I think because of his get-off, number one, oh, yeah. his speed, and he's so good with his hands. The hand-to-hand -hand combat that you have to have on the outside, when you've got these big guys and you've got to wipe their hands off so that you can get to where you want to go, he's as good as anyone that I've seen in those three areas. And he just continues to just dazzle everybody. And I think we're going to see even more of that in the Super Bowl out of Hassan Reddick. Yeah, you know, and Q talked about the connectivity that, that Nick has, you know, his ability to connect with his players the coaching staff the same way. That's so huge when you're talking about establishing a culture yes. that's going to foster winning, that's going to foster team building, that's going to foster, you know, being able to uh, hold one another accountable, right? Peer accountability, all those things are what's in this culture. And it's not something that he's just preaching to his players as he wants them to do it. It's what the whole organization is doing. And I think it's easier for players to buy in. And those veteran guys like Kelsey and Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, you know, the young guys watch the way they go about their business and the younger guys just fall in line. And, and that's when you've got a locker room that's led by veterans, as Ike spoke to. And you can get a lot done when you don't have to police the locker room because you've got veteran players that'll do it for you. And we all know how much these offensive coaches want to call plays. Nick came here calling plays, but he handed it over Smart. to Shane Steichen. And so Smart. he... 
Yeah, his ego does not get involved. How impressive have Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon been basically taking control of their units? Well, I mean, they they may have been, you know, just as, as impressive with Nick Sirianni. He's obviously the front man. He's out there as the spokesman for the team, as the head coach. Yep. But they're also doing the dirty work behind the scenes. You know, Shane Steichen and Nick obviously work hand in hand in what they do offensively, the concepts, the game plans, those things. And while Nick, I don't even know which guy gets the majority of the credit, right? I guess it all depends when it comes to the offensive side of the football. Uh, But on defense, we know that Jonathan Gannon, seemingly from the outside, is always under fire. There's always some extra scrutiny there. And the job that he's done, I don't think he gets nearly the credit that he deserves. He's not only setting franchise records from a defensive standpoint, you're talking about putting up NFL records with what some of his guys are doing. And just look at the amount of players that are having career years under these coaches. I know on offense, sometimes we take it for granted, but there are players on that side of the football having career years as well, just look in the backfield starting with Miles Sanders and you look on the defensive side of the ball my goodness Marcus Epps TJ Edwards we're talking about Josh Sweat Brandon Graham at 34 years old having a career year in sacks like guys having their best years under these coaches it has to say a lot about first of all their ability to put their players in the right position but also their players trusting that they're putting them in the right position so those guys deserve all the credit So great stuff there from the Eagles game plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our content here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.